On this Labor Day episode, I talk about the disappearance of Eliza Fletcher, the murder of a crime reporter in Las Vegas. I discuss the guy who stole the plane in Tupelo, Mississippi, and I'll cover a whole bunch of other stuff, including will I be going back to Greeley for the next Panky trial? I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for September 5th, 2022 Hello, hello, hello everybody. Happy Labor Day to all of you. Uh, I did work today, but by the looks of uh, everybody who was down on the beach today, not many other people work today. You know, it's always weird uh, sitting up here on my balcony uh, doing work. Um, and it's kind of nice because the balcony faces west. And of course, the sun's coming from the east. So, you know, I can sit on my balcony pretty well into the afternoon before it gets, you know, really, really uh, hot out there. So you can see how people go out. They're out there for a while. They come back in and they're all having a great time. And uh, I was working on an interview outline today. I was working on the outline for this live show tonight. So, um, you know, somebody has to do some work around here. So there you go. But it was really kind of a, a weird day out here on the beach because um, there were a group of people out there that were like out there to about two o'clock. And then this rainstorm out of nowhere, typical Florida, this rainstorm kind of just poof out of nowhere. And the only place it was in all of Pinellas County was right overhead. And it came down pretty hard to the point that I had to come in for a little bit. So all those people that were out there, um, when the rain started, they all left. But the, it only rained for like 20 minutes to maybe, you know, a half hour or something. And then it cleared up and it was a beautiful day again. Then a whole different group of people, just as many as the first group were out there. It was it was very interesting. So there you go. But like I said, I hope everybody's doing well. Uh, I know many people do have off today, especially if you're, uh, uh, of course, some uh, all federal government jobs. And then I think many state government jobs you get uh, today off. And maybe there are some private places that... Uh, Stay close today. Banks today, uh, today for example, are, are closed as well. And I guess that officially means it's the end of summer. I know what the calendar says and the solstice or whatever else. But I think for us commoners, uh, summer is between Memorial Day and Labor Day. And everything outside of that is non-summer. So, uh, of course, in Florida, it will continue to be hot and everything, but it's not summer anymore. So let's see who is in here so far uh, early into this live show for September 5th. 
2022. Uh, this is, of course, the live show that happens now every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. And I want to remind everybody that this is now a podcast that has its own feed. So please subscribe to it in your podcast uh, podcast application, iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, however you find the regular podcast. This is where Unfound Live is as well. So please subscribe to it. As you are watching tonight, at least uh, for all you video people, uh, whether you're watching live or in the replay, and even if on your podcast platform, just audio, please give this podcast, this live show, the best review that you can. Five stars, thumbs up, whatever you got to do. A plus, I would appreciate it. So who's in here? Karen. Hello, Karen. Nephew Charles, good to see you. Uh, thanks for joining in on this Monday night out there in Colorado. Hello, Deborah and Roracle. Roracle, I will be answering your question tonight. Very good question about disc golf. I'm going to, of course, answer any question about disc golf. Hello, Carrie, Assistant Carrie. What's going on? She'll be here for a little while. Hello, Kathy, Suzanne, Jasmine, Jill. Carrie says, poor us in retail only got to work harder. Yeah. Judy coming to us from Nashville. Uh, maybe... Judy, you've heard me talk about uh, when I was driving to Illinois for the Worlds, PDGA Worlds, I went through Nashville at about 2 in the morning, something like that. Uh, very beautiful city with all the lights. Um, DLV says beaches were pretty empty today in southern Connecticut on Long Island Sound today. Not sure why. Don't know what to say about that. And then stitching isn't stitching. What's going on, Stitching? Good to see you. I, know, I don't know if you've been in the, the last couple of live shows, but good to see you. Thanks for making time on this Monday night. So um, I always start off with disc golf stuff. Uh, disc Golf Worlds for the pros was this past weekend, and I was invited down to my buddy Cameron's house. I'd never been to his house before. I don't know how long he's been in there. I think he's been in there for at least more than a year. But he invited a bunch of people over, and we watched uh, PDGA Worlds on his um, big TV. And everybody brought you know stuff to eat and everything. We had a good time. I think this is the first time I've ever watched a disc golf tournament live, like in a with a large group of people. It was also kind of. Um, Interesting in that uh, these are people I usually don't see outside of the disc golf course. And so to see them in a, you know, in a, in a different environment and everything was, we'd all had a great time. Uh, I was there, I don't know, that round must have lasted like four hours or something like that. Had a great time just sitting on the couch and it was, it was, had some sandwiches and some potato chips and pretzels and all sorts of good stuff. Uh, Paul Macbeth, who uh, is vying for maybe greatest disc golfer of all time, uh, he won his sixth Worlds Championship. And uh, that is something. Now, you should know the number one uh, winner of Worlds Championships is Ken Klima, who coincidentally lives here in the Clearwater area. He won Worlds 12 times. 
and nine of them were – I think it was nine – nine in a row back in the 1990s, so from like 89 to 98 or something like that. But he has 12 world championships, and for a long time, of course, he was considered to be the best of all time. But now Paul McBeth has come along. Now he only has half the world championships that Kenny does, but dare I say it, the sport is a lot um, more competitive now. There are many, many, many more people playing it. Um, The courses have gotten surely more difficult. Uh, The technology of the discs have changed. And you could even say that um, the sport just from 25 years ago is completely different. So it's hard to compare really what Paul McBeth is doing now to what Ken Climo did 25 years ago, even though it's just 25 years. We know sports change. Uh, You know, you look at the NFL now compared to like the 1970s, it seems like, or 1960s, it seems like a totally different game. But, you know, the NFL 25 years ago is about the same as it is now. Players about the same speed, about the same size. The rules are the same. Baseball, basketball, even with tennis, even though we've had Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, and how they've dominated for like the last 15 years or something, you can look at tennis now and look at tennis 25 years ago. It's kind of the same. Um, You know, Pete Sampras, Andre Agassi, etc., Whereas with it, when you look at disc golf, it's a totally different game. In fact, I would say that even between now and when I started about 10 years ago, totally different game. Uh, the divisions have gotten much more difficult, uh, much more competitive, a lot more people playing. You find a lot more younger people who are more athletically minded uh, because probably up until probably the last seven or eight years in a lot of circles, disc golf kind of known as a little bit of a uh, a stoner sport. But now uh, there are like true athletes getting into the sport. The money has certainly increased. Uh, Paul McBeth with his sponsorships. Now, granted, he's uh, a bit of an exception. He's making like a million dollars a year playing disc golf. Now, the prize money is not that great, but the sponsorships and all these other things, I mean, it's a big deal. Now, maybe uh, there's a guy, Ricky Wysocki, who's won the Worlds twice. He's making nice money. There are a couple other guys making some nice money. There are a few women who are making a nice, some nice money. And... But still, overall, there's way more money in the sport now than there was even 10 years ago. It it was not uncommon. Yeah, you were a pro touring the United States, but you were probably only doing that for like six months of the year. And then the other six months of the year, you had to go get like a real job. A lot of the players at the top, like top 20, top 30, they don't need to do that. Maybe with the women, it's still a little dicey, if like outside maybe the top 10 maybe. But a lot of players are just doing this exclusively now. So so there's not, the, the debate is now uh, you know, really, really heated up. Now that Paul has his sixth world title, 
is that is he the greatest player of the time or is it still Kenny? How do you even compare it? I think it's very difficult. Very, very difficult. Now, as far as the women go, uh, the woman that won it has been uh, the, maybe Paul winning. I don't know if it was a surprise, but it's very competitive. There were like, you know, at least 10 different male players who could have probably won this year, and but Paul won it. Whereas with the women, the, the woman who came in playing the best disc golf over the last year won it, and she won it easily. Her name is Kristen Tatar. She's from Estonia. And she won just very, very easily. And she is actually the first mother to win uh, a championship. Uh, she's the first woman who has a child to win. Whereas with the men, uh, Kenny Climo, you know, had kids going back to the 90s. So he was a father winning. But this is the first woman who is a mother to win. And I, I, I for sure, Kristen is still in her 20s. So uh, there's a milestone there as well. And Kristen, uh, I, I think, is doing very well, once again, monetarily as well. Uh, monetarily well, too. But she just completely dominated. I mean, she's just so – her game uh, – and she doesn't even putt that well. Um, her game is just so superior to everybody else's. It was for a while that um, Paige Pierce, who's – she has five world titles, but – and she certainly raised the level of play for women. Um, but Kristen Tatar, the way she has played over the past year, it's been crazy. I mean so crazily good disc golf. It's just like once again taking the sport to even a higher level for the women. So – uh, it was good to watch. Uh, Paul McBeth had to win in a playoff, by the way, just like he lost in a playoff last year. So it was a lot of drama. Whereas with the women, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion unless Kristen completely fell apart on Saturday. And, and the funny thing is she not only did she win on Saturday, but she still ended up shooting one of the best rounds. She was far ahead, and she even like increased the, increased her the the strokes between her and second place. Crazy. So congratulations to both. Uh, I didn't mind Kristen winning. I really wasn't rooting for Paul McBeth because I like a little bit of parody. I like to maybe see somebody win for the first time, but that didn't happen. Aaron Gossage gave it all he could, but kind of, I don't know. Paul McBeth is just a better player. What can you say? All right, so it's everybody. Uh, Stitching says, yep, she's been working hard on crochet. And YouTube research, good for you, Stitching. Hello, Coffee. What's going on? Marcus, hello to you. And Marcus asks, Ed, Bills versus Rams, who do you have winning? Uh, thank you for asking, Marcus. Uh, I've already done my hoodball picks for the first week of the NFL season. Everybody should know that I won this league last year. And I, of course, picked the Rams uh, over the Bills. Uh, just Rams are at home. Bills have to go across the United States to play. Um. I, I don't even think it's going to be much much of a game at all. So that's who I have winning on my pickums, And I did end up winning once again by, what was it, two picks last year, won by two games. And I think I ended up winning $270 or something uh, like that. So it was pretty nice. And you know how much I like winning. The Rourke goes, disc golf a sport in schools down where you are. I'm curious as it's not where I live and I'm thinking about it should be an option. 
Uh, the Rorical, you should know that there are, are outreach programs that the PGA, DGA does. That people do go around to different schools uh, for, you know, in gym class, physical education classes. They'll bring baskets. They'll bring, bring um, discs and teach uh, kids how to play. They do this for a lot of after-school programs. Uh, PDGA has a program that is geared toward that uh, exclusively, you know, spreading the sport, getting younger to people to play it. So um, be looking for that, the Roar Call. You know, me, I didn't even, I hadn't even heard of disc golf until I turned 41. So... Rook, so I'm going to reach out to the gym teacher and see what you can make. Ha- uh, we can make happen. Seems like something good. It's a great sport. It is a great sport. Absolutely, I enjoy getting. Out. I was out there yesterday morning, and you know, all know how much I uh, do not like uh, getting up early. But disc golf is one of those things I will get up early for. I'm glad I did because I shot really well yesterday. Won a couple bucks, but I gave it back to the club. So. Uh, it's a fantastic, and that's uh, what's going to keep the sport going, getting young people into it, more money coming into it, maybe getting a little, you know, a lot more TV coverage, although it has been on ESPN and elsewhere. And, um, you know, maybe one of these days, you know, I don't know if it'll, you know, get to the baseball level or even ball golf level, but surely get to a level where, people who are good enough to compete at the highest level in the world can make good money doing that, you know, being so good at something that certainly should be a goal. And I I think it's a worthy goal and um, it's a great individual sport. DLV says my son plays disc golf as a club sport at UMass. Uh, There is a college championship DLV. There is a college championship that I think they usually play in Georgia. Uh, every spring. So maybe your son uh, can get together a, a club or a team to play in that. Uh, have you any pros given you advice to improve your game? Richard asks. Um, I have spoken to a couple pros over the years, Richard, but nothing that has been uh, like one-on-one in person, like over the internet. I'll send them like video of me throwing. They'll give me some tips. But nothing in person, and in fact, that is really just kind of a growing, you know, kind of a, what do you call it, industry or something. There really isn't, hasn't been a disc golf instruction type of thing. There's people that do it amateur-wise on the internet and everything, but it's surely not like ball golf where you have Hank Haney and all those other people who have become very well-known ball golf coaches, swing coaches and things. Disc golf doesn't have anything like that. But it's uh it's starting to change just a little bit. You can of course hire uh pros will certainly take your money uh, for their for you know to give you tips and things. That's certainly true. But we also know Richard, you need to know Richard is probably the professionals are not maybe the best people to get advice from. Um they have may, they have been playing so long that the technique is just natural to them, and they have a hard time explaining it to others. Uh, kind of been, and that's uh, a very popular way of thinking within disc golf. So you're probably going to learn more from 
people who aren't pros, but they're they're good players than you would from the pros themselves. You, you're probably going to learn more from people who uh, maybe have gotten into disc golf a lot later than the pros do, because most of these pros have been playing for years and years, going back to you know teenagers, if not before. Whereas if you get somebody who had, didn't start playing in the late teens or early 20s, they're probably better explaining these types of things, my experience. But it is something that's starting. You certainly can find some YouTube channels where people are giving tutorials and they will, you know, if you want to, if you live close to them, they'll surely meet up with you. And, you know, for a certain amount per hour, they'll help you out. Certainly that is true, but it's really just in the beginning stages. And y'all should, should know something else, Richard. Also, Richard, playing disc golf is not as hard as playing ball golf. Uh, surely dis, uh, ball golf is a much more exact sport. Now, though, on the other hand, for disc golf, I would say you have to be more athletic because there is kind of jumping and running and things that are involved with your swing that you don't do in ball golf. So in that way, they're different. But I would still say the ball golf is a much more exact sport. You know, fractions and millimeters uh, make all the difference in hitting a golf ball. Not quite the same when throwing a disc. But still, instruction can surely help. But I, on, after all this, I'll be playing uh, this weekend, uh, first tournament in a while, uh, two day, first two-day tournament in uh, Floral City. I'll be leaving Saturday morning. I'll be staying overnight at an Airbnb, one of my favorite Airbnb places, maybe number one up there in Brooksville. And then we have another round on Sunday. And then I will come home on Sunday to do an interview. Uh, and then I'll have to do the think tank. So I'm going to have a very, very busy um, Sunday. And hopefully my disc golf play will uh, will be pretty good. I played really well yesterday over at Taylor Frick Club. Like I said, I, I played well enough. There were 60-some players there. And I, I I collected a couple bucks. Like I said, though, I gave it back to the to the club. So I played well enough amongst 60 players to make some money. So um, that's pretty good. So I hope I can 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 can, uh, can continue that this weekend. Moving on, uh, something else that uh, going on that's coming up this Thursday. Getting my teeth worked on, getting a bridge put on over here. Not cheap. I think I talked about this last week that um, I got done with one dental loan and I'm moving right into another dental loan. <laughs> Just bad luck. So uh, I'm going to have a lot of money this time next year when this loan gets paid off. I'm going to have a lot uh, well into the five figures of putting money into my teeth over the past, you know, between September of last year. So 2021 to September of next year, 2023. In those two years, I will be into the five figures being spent on my mouth. What are you going to do? And for those of you who don't know, I cracked a root canal over here, so it's unfixable. The tooth, the tooth has to be pulled and everything else. It's It lasted 22 years, and given the, the way that I grind my teeth and everything, maybe it's fortunate that that even lasted that long. So there you go. All right, let's move into uh, – hello, LaFord. Good to see you, LaFord. What's going on? And if anybody's wondering why those people are in green, this is a new uh, – a, a new trailer that I'm putting in front of all of the 
um, new videos on here. And that would be um, all the people in green are members of this channel. I hope you will consider joining as a member to get a lot of stuff that other people don't get. That is the join button right down there for the low, 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 low price of 10 cents a day. Helps us out a lot here. I appreciate it. Uh, LaFord's the same with the dental loan for me too, Ed. Yeah, that's what you got to do. Now, the good thing is, is that uh, I, I know that I'm going to be able to pay this loan at a much higher rate than what it's being written. And I'll have this loan done by next year. And there won't be a lot of interest that I'm going to have to pay on it. But still, I was thinking by September of this year that I wouldn't have that loan. I, it wouldn't be having to make any payment. That was going to be, of course, more money back in my pocket. Didn't go that way. Hate when that happens. Just, you know, it's, I guess it's like, you know, having a car and paying it off and then you pay it off and then it falls apart and you have to buy a car again and have another car loan. It's like that. All right, let's move on to um, some true crime, missing persons things. And you should know already that we're going to be talking a little bit more about uh, more national stuff than unfound stuff. And it's probably going to be uh, a sign of kind of a change in this unfound live. Um, what, you know, what I talk about here. So just be prepared for that as we move uh, into later September and October, the rest of the year. But first, I'm, I, I want to talk about, there was no poll this week, given that it was the six-year anniversary, but uh, we'll get to into it a little later. Um, that I did have a, a think tank talk, and I'll get, you know, at least ask some of you some of the same questions that I asked uh, the people in the think tank. Um, so maybe I can get your opinions on some of these things as well. Where I want to start tonight is a national news story that I, I'm sure all of you have been following. And in fact, unfortunately, very sadly, about a half hour before I came on the air tonight on September 5th, 2022, there were, there was news that possibly the remains of a, a Eliza Fletcher or Eliza Fletcher uh, were found. Uh, I know many of you probably, I know all of you are very, uh, you know, follow true crime and, and things like this, people being abducted, kidnapped, disappearances you follow that all very closely especially when it gets to the national level level just like uh eliza's disappearance uh did her obvious abduction in fact there was video of her being abducted on in memphis uh tennessee uh this past friday at 4 20 a.m so once again on september 2nd on friday and unfortunately like I said, uh, the news coming out about an hour ago was that remains have been found near where this suspect, uh, who his name is uh, Cleotha Absin, um, near where he was living, and there was some sort of trash bin, and they started looking around, and I think, unfortunately, that they have found uh, her remains. So... If you don't know about it, though, I will go through the facts very quickly. Uh, Eliza, and you should know, I only read news. I don't listen to it. So if it's Eliza, Eliza, I'm going to just say Eliza because it starts with an, uh, an E. But E-L-I-Z-A, Eliza Fletcher. Uh, she was 34 
Uh, she is 34 from Memphis, Tennessee, and she's a jogger. She's a runner. And every morning she would go out very, very early in the morning and get her running in. And she was a teacher, so she'd get her running in uh, before she would go to school. Of course, go out and run, come on, take a shower, everything, go to work as a teacher. And on four uh, on Friday at 4.20 a.m., so like I said, very early, and I don't think, of course, at 4.20 a.m. she couldn't have been too far into her run. Um, there was a, a person, once again, uh, this guy, his name being uh, Cleotha, C-L-E-O-T-H, Cleotha, Cleotha, Cleo. And we now know using video evidence that he had seen her, he'd passed her, in his um, SUV, and then kind of stalked her. So this is not a situation where Eliza and this guy knew each other. This was not a guy, uh, a thing where maybe he had seen her jogging before. I don't know if there's any proof of that at this point. But he was out at four something in the morning that 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 early morning, and she was running, and he decided he was going to abduct her, uh, attack her. And like I said, there was video that she's running along. The, the, the van seemingly pulls out of nowhere, and there is a struggle, and he pulls her into his vehicle. And then the vehicle, once again, using video from that area, the vehicle went over to a parking lot for three or four or five minutes, and then the vehicle then left uh, that area. And... Using that video, other means, they were able to find this vehicle and then find out who was driving it. And now this guy is in custody. And he's been, been in custody, I think, since uh, yesterday. But I don't think he was saying anything. But, uh, you know, he was living with other people who said that he had cleaned up the van. He'd been doing things that were very suspicious. And they were able to locate him. And the, from him, the searches started. And like I said, it seems that she has been found um, deceased. And as some of you are saying in here uh, in the chat room tonight on September 5th, yes, this is not the first time he has done this. He had done this before. He had gone to jail for it. And at the time they abducted Eliza a few days ago, he had been out of jail for a couple years. But still, obviously, a very dangerous guy and i'm not going to get into the you know whether he should still be in jail and everything else i mean we can all now say yeah you should still be in jail but uh you know hindsight being 2020 but she did not of course come home husband started calling people uh of course she she didn't show up for work people concerned about um where she was they started driving around they found her phone they found this water bottle that were left behind at the attack area and very fortunate that there was video to identify the van, this SUV or minivan SUV that uh, was used by this guy to attack her and take her. Now, my perception, once again, this is very, very early on. We have to remember that this just happened three days ago, but. He's been uh, put in custody. Her remains have seemingly been found. But the perception I have about this is that this is a random attack. This is not something. Now, we can all say, we can all surely believe that it seems that if this guy was out at four something in the morning, 
that he probably had this on his mind anyway and might have been cruising around for days just waiting for the right circumstance. It very well may be in the days before he was checking out other women who were running in the morning, but the maybe they stopped running. Maybe they noticed him. They got a little nervous and went the opposite direction uh, for whatever reason. But on Friday morning, um, he attacked, decided to attack Eliza, and his attack, unfortunately, was successful. So what are we supposed to think about this? Uh, as I've stated for the last six years of Unfound, now that we're past the six-year mark, I'm not inclined to believe that many disappearances that we've um, covered on Unfound are stranger-on-stranger crime like this seemingly was. Now, it very well may be in the end that maybe they did have some sort of inner. Maybe he had tried. Maybe she was jogging some other morning. He had tried before, and she had gotten away or something. Maybe that all come out. It just doesn't seem like it at this point. But so what are we supposed to think about this? How does this kind of, which could have seen, I mean, if we don't have video, if there weren't all these video cameras that he happened to drive by and actually even showing her being abducted, attacked, who knows how long this disappearance could have gone on? Who knows if her remains would have been found by luck or through a search? Who knows if he ever would have been identified if we didn't have the technology that we have regarding video. And this is one of those circumstances where video uh, told us all we needed to know. You know, that's been kind of a topic this year for me that what have I stated? Unless video actually shows the moment that a person was attacked or jumped off a bridge or something, video is just about useless. Well, this is one of those cases where the video showed exactly what happened. And you can see now why that makes such a big difference. Say we had video of her running, but no video of her being attacked. And yes, maybe there would have been video of a variety of cars, SUVs, Corvettes, whatever else driving by. And how would we ever know which one picked her up if any of them did? And so this is why one of my rules now that I've been developing is that if video can't show you what you really, 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 really need to know, it's just about useless. It must show somebody being abducted, somebody jumping off a bridge, somebody walking into the woods or something like that. Outside of that, I don't know what it's going to be able to tell you. So we're very fortunate for this. And that, that's just, I guess, is continuing to prove my theory regarding all of this. But still... I made a list of possible disappearances that involved strangers. Uh, Jody Husentrude. Of course, there are people who believe that John Van Sice caused her disappearance. Maybe. Of course, he knew her, so that wouldn't apply. But it very well could be, on the other hand, given that Jody was a, uh, was a public figure on TV every day, uh, of course, she was a woman, which raises the chances that she's going to be abducted by a man. Very well could be that some obsessed viewer, some obsessed fan figured out where she lived, which would have been very easy to do at the time. Her name was in the phone book and address. I mean, imagine that. And that person just waited for her that morning, abducted her. We can certainly believe that he knew her, but she didn't know him. So it's still kind of a stranger on stranger crime. 
So certainly that is something that, that continues to be on our minds uh, all these years later for Jody's disappearance, now 27 years later. But still, her disappearance is rare. For example, with Susie Lyles, I think everybody perfectly believes that she was abducted by somebody. Of course, there's people that think that Israel Keys do it, did it. I'm not even going to get into that. But a lot of people believe that her, maybe her boyfriend slash ex-boyfriend could have done this. The father of him, who act, he acted really, really strangely after Susie went missing. But they aren't strangers. Now, it certainly could be possible that a stranger abducted Susie. Somebody who just happened to be sitting in that parking lot. Maybe a, a guy very much like this Cleotha guy. Absent guy. What a name, by the way. Very well could have been. Just waiting there, waiting for some college student to come by, and Susie happened to be first. Very possible. So got to be open to that. Maybe we could also be open to that idea with Audrey Heron, given that uh, also, of course, a woman leaving work. Um, it's a little hard to understand why she didn't get home that night. Some people are suspicious of her husband. I am not. Did she run off the road? Did she leave her life? Did she stop to get gas and get attacked there? Maybe we can be open to the idea that uh, a stranger did something to Audrey Heron in the early 2000s in New York. But other than that, there aren't many disappearances. Maybe we can think about uh, Brandy Wells. She certainly um, was abducted, I think, by a stranger, but totally different situation. She's at a bar. She was talking to a lot of different people. I believe she ran into the guy with the white hat. They left that bar together. But he wasn't necessarily waiting for her. She didn't just happen along as if she was walking on a lonely street. So I don't know how much that applies. But I, what I'm saying here is that Eliza's abduction, attack, and seemingly murder is rare. And even after 265 disappearances... I don't know where to really put that in, in the analysis of anything. It's, we just have to understand, even though it has gotten a lot of national attention, um, and it should. Of course, all of them should get national attention, but I think this got national attention because there was video. Uh, I think it got attention um, just like... Uh, you know, some other situations like this have done. And, and we know that there, there was this other woman within the past couple years who she was out jogging and some guy hit her with a car on purpose. Some neighbor did this. I don't know if they were technically strangers, but I don't know how well they knew each other either. So just because this has gotten a lot of attention, we shouldn't that shouldn't sway us from the, the fact that most disappearances, most murders are done between people who know each other, whether it's uh, relationships or friendships or guys going out to a bar and something just gets out of hand, even though they're friends, they start, somebody says the wrong thing and these things happen. This should not sway us from our, the, the known fact that stranger on stranger crime, not just in the United States, but just about anywhere, is rare. But I think probably this is, unfortunately, the way the media covers it. 
because they don't know what they're doing and they love to sensationalize things. The, you know, the, the TV stations and all those places that rely on sensationalism, which we don't hear it unfound. They will then try to portray this as something how maybe society is going downhill and strangers are just doing this to other strangers and everything. And certainly crime has ticked up in the last couple of years, maybe because of COVID and whatever else. But in the end, I still don't think this is going to change the percentage as much when it comes to stranger on stranger crime. There's certainly going to be a smaller, it's going to be a certain small percentage of stranger on stranger crime. And everything else, it's going to be between people who knew each other. And it's going to be the much bigger piece of the pie. It's going to continue to, to be that way. Uh, getting back to Cleotha, though, uh, I think what this shows is that there's nothing that um, I've seen or read or heard or anything that he was necessarily going anywhere at 4 a.m. Uh, it's not like he was going to a job and then decided to attack a woman. I get the idea that the reason he was out is he was trolling. He was looking for somebody, a woman, to attack. And he had done this before. And, um, you know, there were things about offering women to pay for sex, people, who he, women who he knew. And uh, he had a history of this, but he's out there cruising the streets at 4 a.m. And he was surely not out there for any good reasons. Uh, Richard uh, says this kidnapping isn't a first for him. That's true. Carrie says, I feel for the husband and the nanny. They were both held for a bit. But, of course, spouse is always first suspect. Can't argue with that, Carrie. It's just uh, law enforcement doing their job. Richard kind of reminds me of the Joseph News. True. Yep, brought it up. I believe Jody was stalked, then taken, never to be seen again. Coffee says, Ed, I'm so glad someone finally agrees with me about Israel Keys being overrated. Overrated is a good word, Coffee. Richard, I believe the Ted Bundy killings were stranger and stranger crimes. Yeah. As were as were the um the original Night Stalker. Uh, although you know, the original Night Stalker seemed to have scoped out the places and prepared things beforehand. They were stranger and stranger, but even despite all of the people that Ted Bundy, all the women Ted Bundy killed, despite all of the women the original Night Stalker raped and the people that he killed and whoever, what other serial killers you want to mention, their numbers don't have an impact on the overall percentages at all. Um, and in fact, given that they were serial, serial killers – that is the reason that, that they got away with it for so long because they did attack strangers. I mean, I, I think a bunch of friends would start to get nervous if their friends' women started dying one by one. I think they would automatically think someone in their circle was the killer. But with these, Ted Bundy doing as much murdering as he did, he was picking out uh, women who although i do know what he went into maybe a dorm room and killed women who were roommates or something i'm not an expert on him but um for the most part he killed women who did not know each other and by doing that that extends the amount of time you're able to get away with it whereas you start killing people that who you know eventually somebody's going to catch on but still despite all of those numbers even the green river killer who killed 40 prostitutes or something like that um all strangers, women he didn't know beforehand. Um, those numbers don't put a dent 
compared that those don't change the percentages at all. Still overrun by all the people who have been killed by people who knew them. Whether once again, woman killing woman, man killing man, man killing woman, woman killing man, all who knew each other, it's still an overwhelming amount. So something else though to take of the, from this. And as, uh, and as I think I've talked about this, and in fact, from the very first episode, Susie Lyles from six years ago, I have talked about women's safety. This has been a big topic uh, for me for a, for a long time, even before Unfound got started. And, you know, I'm not here to blame Eliza, but let's just admit that people, men or women, I mean, it could happen to men too. I mean, it could easily be that, you know, now men certainly maybe don't get abducted, but how is what happened here any different than if a guy's going jogging at five in the morning and somebody decides to hit him for, with a car for no reason and kill him and drive off? Same person's still dead. But you just have to be aware of these things. I, I, I have to admit it. I have to admit, I can't believe there are still people, especially women, who go out running in cities at four in the morning on public streets. It boggles my mind. I know that we're not supposed to be afraid of these things. I know that you know we can't let the bad people control the decisions that we're going to make and all of that. But I also know that, you know, if we want to get into the, the animal kingdom, uh, you know, a seal doesn't go swimming through, you know, a school of sharks either. So, you know, I would not, you know, I don't like to run anyway. I'm not a runner. I, I prefer to lift weights and things, but I wouldn't be out there. I wouldn't be out there. You know, this is what gyms are for. This is what treadmills are for. And my guess in Eliza's case is she'd been doing this for a, a long time. And she kind of got complacent. You know, she just took for granted. Well, I, I you know, went out, ran today and came home just fine, I guess. You know, and after a while, you just think, start thinking that's the way it's always going to be. And the only person you're fooling is yourself. Mm -hmm. In addition, it seems that she's running out there with no weapons. I, I Once again, I'm not here to blame her, but women who are listening to this, 80% of Unfound's audiences are women of a variety of ages. You shouldn't be going out by yourself or even with a group in situations like this without some type of weapon. Now, I realize in some place in the United States, you're not allowed to carry guns, et cetera, but you can certainly uh, take pepper spray and whatever else. And it doesn't seem that she did this. Now, I realize jogging with a gun, I think you are can personally carry in the state of Tennessee. Jogging with a gun um, could be a little, you know, that heavy thing, you know, bumping up and down. I know that that would not be the most convenient thing to do. And that might get in the way of um, your rhythm. And even if you get a, a light gun, you know, a good semi-automatic that holds a decent amount of bullets is going to be, 
I don't know, 25 ounces, so like a pound and a half or something like that, which who wants to carry an extra pound and a half when you go jogging? Nobody. But you could carry pepper spray. Now, you may say, well, I could just carry a knife. Knife does. For women, uh, you don't want to carry weapons that the only way they can be used is close in. Okay? For women especially, you need weapons that you, where you can keep your attacker at a distance. Because I know the self-defense classes and, and all of that. I get it. But what you as women want to avoid is avoiding that man. It's usually going to be a man allowing him to get close to you and overpowering you. Once he does that, it doesn't matter if you have a knife or whatever. It's too late. This is why you need weapons. Of course, with pepper spray, you can pepper spray sometime, uh, you know, some person from 10 feet away, if not further. Some of them have some pretty powerful streams, depending on which kind you get. But you can shoot that 10, 15 feet. You can harm that person. You can keep that person off before that person, man or woman, ever gets close to you. Now, and we also have to remember one thing about the attacks on attacks on women. The reason mainly that men want to attack women closely is because the first motive is rape and then murder. Okay, so this isn't a situation where you have, you know, men driving around shooting women they don't know from cars. Usually when women are murdered, it has to do with rape, power. And so the only way that can be inflicted upon a woman is close, getting control of her. Of course, like in this case, attacking her, she's fighting. He drags her to this car and still is able to drive off with her in the car. I've not heard anything about any accomplices in this. He was able to do this by himself. And obviously she was a woman. She's in her 30s, fit, physical, able to run and everything. And still she lost this fight. So I'm going to keep saying it, that if you are a woman, you need a defensive weapon that can, that can be used at a distance. So gun, I'm not here to talk politics. I know people that are anti-gun out there, but I'm just saying. I realize don't break any laws, all right? I'm not telling you to break the law if you live in New York or California or wherever. But surely pepper spray would be good enough. If she had pepper spray, this guy's coming up on her. You know, she sees the van stopping. She goes right for the pepper spray, grabs it out, grabs it. It's, and he, she probably wouldn't even had to have used it. As soon as she would have grabbed it and pulled it out, he would have jumped back in his van and taken off. Now, she might have gotten the license plate. He would have been caught, and she would still be alive. Something as simple as that. I'm going to keep preaching it here. You know, I'm all about the safety. And for us guys, you know, um, for any men who think that I'm overstating this, we have to put it this way. How would we feel as men if we were on this earth and there was some other gender or whatever that was faster than us, stronger than us? Because we know men generally faster than women. Everything being equal, men faster than women. 
Uh, and once again, everything being equal, men stronger than women. Although there are certainly women out there that are stronger than some men, certainly, but on average. But we as men, how would we feel if there was some other gender on the on the earth that was, you know, 30% stronger in upper body strength than we were? Or could run the 100-meter dash a second faster than we could? Would we not be arming ourselves? Would we not be looking out for our safety in many different ways? We would. And so I try to put myself, when I'm talking about this, I'm trying to put myself in that kind of mentality. What would I be doing? You know, thinking, because this is the situation that women are in. They live on the earth. uh, And once again, on average, the average man is stronger than the average woman. On average, the average man is faster than the average woman. This all comes into play when we talk about abductions and murders and kidnappings and everything else. And so, um, you know, I try to think of it in those terms. It's, it's sad. This is tragic, bad, horrible. You know, uh, these things like this, some of the worst things that can ha- ever happen on this earth. But I also want all of you to understand this stuff is avoidable. It's avoidable. Now, it's different, I guess, if she would have been home by herself and somebody, you know, somebody breaks in and maybe she does have a weapon but can't get to it quickly enough. That happens. Or, you know, something else or the person is just so stealthy that, uh, you know, gets through like a burglar alarm. Those things happen. I don't know what you can do about that. And that's unfortunate. But these types of situations are avoidable. Whether it's a woman choosing a better time to go running or just going to run at the gym at 4.20 in the morning or 4.30 in the morning or going with a group or going with her husband or going, you know. But this is, this is avoidable. And you just have to take for granted that, you know, I have no doubt living in a city like I do, that although I would not say that I'm driving around at odd times of the early morning or late night or anything, but you know, when I'm, when that happens, I just take for granted that there's just a lot of kooks out there and I'm a, and I'm a person who can handle himself pretty well. I, I'm fairly street smart. I'm fairly aware. Even when I go to a Publix at three, at three in the afternoon, over here in Bel Air Bluffs, probably one of the safest parts of uh, Pinellas County, I'm always looking around, looking for anything suspicious, anybody hanging out, anybody following me, this, that. And I'm going to get to another story here before all done, you know, you know, why this might be on my mind. But jogging in a city at 4.20 a.m. is for man or woman is not smart. And I and it, whether it's 2022 or 1997 or 1953 or 1878 or whatever pick a year, it's never a good choice. But I think once again, we all in our lives whether it has to do with whatever we're doing, we talk ourselves into complacency. We've gotten away with something once, we'll get away with it again. Maybe the first time we're 
really leery, and it very well may be the first time that Eliza ever did this, she was nervous about it, scared, very aware, very hyper, you know, aware and everything else. But maybe by the third month, after 30 runs or 40 runs and nothing ever bad ever happening, in fact, she might have had experiences to the opposite, running into other joggers, and they're all saying hi and everything else, that she lulled herself into a, a false sense of security. And then Cleotha Absin comes along. So what we perceive to be safe is not. We're only fooling ourselves. Because our perception of reality doesn't change the fact that there are people like this guy out there. So um, this is why, uh, you know, at least... Since I've owned, you know, owned my first gun like six years ago, uh, you know, I've been to the shooting range with a couple different women, showing them how to shoot guns. Now, unfortunately, where they live, they're not allowed to own them. But still, it's a skill. You need to get comfortable with that. Should you actually end up being in an area where you're allowed to own one, you just can't own it. You got to go shoot because in that moment where you may, you may have to use it. You have to be comfortable with it. It has to be second nature to it, just like riding a bike, driving a car, or anything else. Because in that moment, you're going to be nervous. Your heart's going to be racing. You better know what you're doing. That's why maybe for some people, maybe uh, pepper spray would just be a better choice. Why? Because all you have to do is press the you know point and press the button. Whereas with a gun, you got to get it out. You got to aim it. And, you know, and put the sights and all those things. It's a little more difficult. I guess it all depends. So what are uh, uh, some of you saying? Um, uh, Carrie says, most are all out alone and with earbuds or some kind of ear music. Yeah, that's the worst. Uh, good point, Carrie. They are unable to even have any awareness of surroundings. Totally true. Always been aware of your surroundings, no matter how safe you believe the place where it is. The Oracle says, M says, very bad time of the day for a woman to be out alone. Yep. Uh, but we have to remember some of these abductions can happen in the middle of the day too. But that just seems to be the worst of all choices. Uh, M says, as my mom always said, nothing good happens after midnight. That's why I'm usually at home after midnight, which I'm glad you're covering these attacks. That's what I do, Richard. I think um, we could, even though I believe once again, want to state it again. These types of crimes are in the minority. And as I also stated, I'm not really sure how many of the disappearances we've covered on Unfound really are like this at all. I've named a few. Maybe some of you might be able to go through the entire list of 265 and start, uh, you know, maybe pick out a couple more. If you can, fantastic. Um, but still, this is a thing. If we want disappearances, even though we might not cover that many of these kind on Unfound, avoiding these situations, these are how the disappearances, the number of them are going to come down. A combination of making better choices, people being aware of their surroundings, carrying weapons, whatever they're allowed in their particular jurisdiction. These are all ways that that number can come down. Now, it may only come down by 5%, but that's you know, better than nothing. 
Yeah, uh, M says also uh, men are taller. That certainly can be uh, an advantage too. LaFord, Missy Beavers might have been attacked by a stranger. Uh, LaFord, I'm certainly open to that. Uh, there's nothing that I've seen to make me believe that the person who killed her in that church uh, knew her. Carrie, I live in a town of about 200 people, and I still wouldn't be jogging that early in the morning alone. LaFord, I don't want to get blocked, but just because you don't see brown and black faces doesn't automatically mean one is in a safe place. I know a person of color did this, but I'm just saying. I don't care where it is. No, you're not going to get blocked for that. I, I don't think this is a good idea anywhere. I don't care what the demographics are of the place. I don't care if it's Beverly Hills. You don't do this. I don't care if it's the, the most whitest place in the United States, and I don't even know where that is. You don't go out running at 4 a.m., especially if you're a woman, and especially if you're not carrying a weapon, and especially if you're not paying attention to your surroundings, and especially if you're wearing earbuds listening to your favorite motivational song. You don't do these things. And so uh, race and all that has nothing to do with, you know, as far as any of this. This is not a good choice anywhere by anybody. Carrie, that is right. Never carry a weapon when you're not prepared to actually use it. Yeah, because that weapon could be turned around and used on you. Hello, Light. What's going on? Hello from North Carolina. We're going to be going to North Carolina this Friday for this episode, Light. Uh, heads should be on a swivel in Bel Air and the Bronx. Absolutely. M is in Slipper Rock. I know Slippery Rock. Well, minority or not, one death by homicide is too many. That's true. So uh, very sad. And like I said, lo- not long before I came on tonight, uh, it does seem that uh, she has been found and um, she's not with us anymore. So, oh my. All right want to talk about a couple unfound things and then i will move to another um national story kind of like this one but a little different maybe even this one this next story that i'll get into in a moment uh even hits a little closer to home for me um like i said there was no poll this week given it was the six-year anniversary also want to mention that the next unfound now was released to the public uh, today, it's been out for a week or over a week for members of this channel. Once again, consider becoming a member with the join button below. Um, I did, it's a, this one's kind of a long one, 50 minutes for the disappearance of Gregory Peterson. Uh, he disappeared from Cloverdale, California back in July. Situation where, being that we were just talking about the early morning, Greg seemingly, allegedly, although as I state in the video, I'm not sure how we know some of these things. He went out to help somebody who allegedly had broken down. And he never came home. And then either, and it was once again very unclear whether it was seven hours later or a day and seven hours later, his car was found torched, burning, on Route 101 in California. Fairly busy highway in a very, very northern California, north of Cloverdale. So that one kind of caught my eye. It was it was interesting that this one even caught my eye because at the time that I was trying to pick out the next unfound now disappearance, Namus wasn't working. And you should know that I use Namus for picking out these very recent ones 
uh, because it's very convenient. I can just put in, of course, the criteria I'm looking to cover the disappearance of a woman this month, and she had to have disappeared within the last two months, and I want it between these particular ages because, as you know, I try to stay away from child disappearances. And so NamUs makes that all very easy, and that's how I've been doing this for a long time. But with Greg's, uh, NamUs wasn't working, so I had to do it the good old-fashioned way of just Googling, 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 Googling uh, different time frames and everything, and I came across his, and I think um, I think it was good that I came across his because, of course, I hope that he is found alive. And, well, doesn't look like that's going to happen, but but Greg's disappearance covers a lot of things that we've talked about. You know, cars being burned, people going out at unusual times, um, having information about what this person was doing, although it is unclear how people even know this. A lot of that is enca- that we've talked over and over again on many, many episodes of Unfound is encapsulated in Gregory's uh, disappearance. So... I uh, hope you will check that out. Like I said, it's about 50 minutes. I talk a little bit about the be- at the beginning. Then his disappearance certainly lends itself to uh, some map work, which I do in the middle. I show where he was living, approximately where his car was found, give you an idea of the area, and then I come back and talk about the three most important points to understand about you know theories regarding disappearances and applying them to Greg's disappearance. Uh, I should also note... You know, despite all of the attention that Dylan Rounds' disappearance got from a few months ago, and that was an unfound now I did at the end of June, he's still missing. Uh, Despite everybody out there being so sure that those people who were charged with illegal possession of firearms and everything did this, that disappearance, as much as it got all this national attention, There has been no new news at all, really, since the Unfound Now episode came out two months ago. Despite everybody, you know, in the talkosphere out there um, being so sure that they already had this solved, uh, it's still unsolved and he's not been found. And this is why I stated in that Unfound Now from two months ago, this is a disappearance, in my opinion, that does not lend itself to foul play. It just, it very well may be, but there are no facts to support that, despite everybody saying to the contrary. There's no fact in any of Dylan Round's disappearance to suspect foul play. I would even say that with Greg Peterson's. That doesn't mean it didn't happen, but you surely wouldn't think that from the facts presented that are known to the public. Um, of course, Greg's uh, vehicle uh, being torched right there on the side of the road. Generally, we think that that means foul play. We may think about the disappearances of Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman, where the Freeman parents were murdered. We may think about that, uh, the burning of a car for Jeremy Burt's disappearance. Uh, we cer- I think everybody certainly thinks that that was foul play as well. He got lured somewhere, and somebody killed him, then ditched his car out in the middle of Idaho and torched it. We certainly think foul play on Dorian Myers' disappearance. It's one that I happen to be working on for about an hour today, just looking into a couple things that I've never looked into regarding her disappearance, just some things that came to mind. And it certainly helps that uh, I've uh, been in contact with <clears throat> her uh, son recently. 
So I, I got some little pieces of information and sent that to him. So we had a house and a car that was burned in disappearances. So all these disappearances where we have stuff that's burned, we automatically think foul play. So maybe that makes sense with Greg's. Maybe not. And you should know in a couple of weeks, we'll be talking about another disappearance in which burning plays a huge factor. Uh, it's not going to probably be next Friday's episode, but maybe almost, uh, what would that be? September night. So September 23rd's episode probably is going to be another one where we're all going to get to contemplate what the burning of a, the burning down of a house means. So that's something else to think about Greg's disappearance. What does it mean that his car was burned? Uh, newsletter is out. Uh, September 1st was last Thursday. I hope you received it. And if you did not, uh, please email me if you're not on the list. Uh, it's unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. So let's move on. I'll come back to a couple other. Uh, maybe I'll just ask you this right now before I get into the next piece of national news that I want to talk about. Um, I'm going to ask you all a question because it's, it's on my mind. And I, you know, we got a nice showing of people for the live show tonight. So I hope that a lot of people will an- try to answer this. Because I asked the think tank members, and they overwhelmingly answered in one particular direction. Do you happen to believe that I will be required to go back to Greeley, Colorado to testify again? Because it's, it's, it's coming up. The trial is going to happen probably before the end of this year again. I will have you know that I've not been contacted yet. But given that the first time was a a mistrial or a hung jury, do you think that I personally will be required or forced, quote unquote, to go back to Greeley, Colorado and do this all over again? Or do you think that they will leave me out of the second trial, if there is a second trial, of course? I think there is going to be one. I don't see Steve Pankey pleading to anything. So what do you think? Yes or no? Will Ed be going back to Greeley, Colorado, whether it's toward the end of this year or next year, to be a part of the trial again? I want you to all answer that while I get into the next piece, uh, national news that I want to talk about. And that is the murder of this crime reporter in Las Vegas. His name is Jeff German. I will tell you, when I lived in Las Vegas, I can remember reading his articles online at lvrj.com. He was 69 years old. He had been working for the Review Journal for a very, very long time. Did a lot of investigative reporting, uh, ticking off a lot of people, uh, covering stories that are very touchy in the state of Nevada. And he had a very good reputation, um, very ethical, never pulling any punches, anything like that. But on Friday morning, although his body was not discovered till Saturday, but on Friday, it seems that he was outside his house in Las Vegas. I have no idea where he lives. And he was stabbed to death. Now, there's no news that I could find. Was he married? Was he divorced? Was he living with anybody? Given that he was not found for a while, I guess it would mean to me that he was living by himself somewhere. 
but he got stabbed to death. And this is, uh, and then somebody discovered him on Saturday. Maybe somebody hadn't heard from him, or maybe it was a neighbor or somebody. I'm not sure. But he has been stabbed, and nobody has been caught. Uh, there's not even any mention of any suspects of who it might be. Nothing in uh, the news about was he having any beefs with anybody. But given the work that he did, could it be that he ticked off the wrong person? And did somebody track him down? And of course, we know with the databases that are available to everybody. Of course, maybe it's for some of them you have to pay. You can basically find the address for anybody these days. And this is why when it comes to where I live, I make no effort to even try to disguise or hide where I live because I know how easy it is to find that kind of information online. What are you going to do? So this crime reporter was murdered. It's a big story. You can go to LVRJ.com. There have been many stories about it, especially considering that he worked at the Review Journal. Um, Stabbed outside of his home. So it, this then comes to mind for myself, is covering crime dangerous? Um, should, for those of us who do cover disappearances or actually outright murders that are unsolved, what kind of precautions should we be taking? Now, there's no proof at this time whether this had anything to do with Jeff's work or not. Uh, given that he was knifed to death, it's uh, for somebody who was going to uh, kill him. That seems like an odd choice, but could have been a burglar. Could have who knows. But it does bring up this idea for reporters who are covering sensitive issues, touchy issues, murders, the mob, and everything. You know what kind of precautions should we be taking? And even I even you know, think of that for myself because once in a while, um, you know, I do get a nasty message once in a while and I do tick people off. And in fact, I mentioned that, uh, in the update episode, how, um, a couple different people who were tangentially connected to the disappearance of Jake Lachalet wrote me a couple messages and I am sure that if I was in the same room with these people, um, I'm not saying my life would be at risk, but who knows how that might go. Uh, I will tell you that I have to admit that since Unfound started six years ago, uh, I have changed my behavior in, in some ways. Um, I'm much less likely to – now, there's certain things that are unavoidable. Uh, you know, like disc golf tournaments um, that, you know, you have to sign up. It's public information. And so somebody, if they wanted to know where I was going to be some, you know, somewhere at a future date, that might be one way to do so. But other than that, I usually try to keep it a mystery, you know, where I'm going, what I'm doing. Usually. And even though uh, I do go to these disc golf tournaments, the good thing about these disc golf tournaments is basically you end up seeing a lot of the same people. And so if there is somebody who maybe kind of looks out of place, that person usually kind of sticks out. Now, that was 
maybe a little different when I went to Illinois when I was there all that time. And although I happened to play on a, a, at least one, a couple cards with guys I knew just coincidentally, most of the people there I did not know. So it was a different situation. But I can tell you from the work I've been doing for the last six years, I'm certainly on higher alert than I ever used to be in my life. Because we, of course, do talk about suspects. I believe that um, we have certainly ruffled some feathers. We've certainly mentioned some people on the podcast who are surely killers. And they have a lot to lose if that missing person were to be found. Uh, I know maybe one in particular, you have to remember, Kelly Rothwell disappeared right down the street from where I live and where I used to live in Madeira Beach. So it's it's closer to where I live now than where I used to live, but still it's it's right in this area. Now, David Perry doesn't live here anymore. He went back to New York right after Kelly disappeared. And I think he's pretty much been there ever since, except, you know, maybe trying to go to Hawaii with that new woman he got involved with. But, you know, so that's on my mind. And I've talked about him, although he doesn't get mentioned much these days. Uh, but he's always on my mind. He knows this area well. I go right by where he surely killed Kelly Rothwell. I go right by that condo building all the time. I go right by where he surely ditched her car, right by the post office that I usually use. But like I said, he's back in New York, but still it's on my mind. And I think maybe he's even in jail now. But so these things are are on my always on my mind. And but I want you to know that's not the reason that I live in this kind of building. Now, this is an idea of my father's that after my mother died and everything, he wanted me to move somewhere else because I was living in this place that, uh, you know, was about the big the size of my kitchen or something. Now, but it's just a kind of almost a coincidence now that I live in a building that does have security and has a, all sorts of video cameras and everything else. That was the reason I moved here was not having anything to do with Unfound. But, you know, I will tell you that if I lived in a house like Jeff German seem, seemingly did, uh, if I were going out to take the garbage out to the end of the driveway or something like that, I could tell you that. I would probably always be on alert for these things. Um, And I can tell you for sure that if I did think somebody was prowling around outside, um, I would get my gun, but I don't know how curious I'm going to be about that. (laughs) I might just call 911 and I say, I think somebody's, you know, outside doing something. I'm not going to go out and check that. Now, if the person comes into the house, then then it's on. But, you know, I don't really have never, as you know, I don't know many other um, true crime hosts. Of course, I knew John Lorden. Of course, I've gotten to know at least a little bit the two guys that run Locating the Lost. But I will be honest, I've never really spoken to any other hosts about this topic. Do they think about this? I know I do. I do. And so when I go out of town, like I said, for disc golf tournaments, and a lot of these days, I'm mainly staying in Airbnb. So once in a while, it's a hotel. But 
you know, I like to check out the Airbnb and I like to look it over and everything. Uh, you know, I'm very discerning when it comes to that. So I want all of you to know that I certainly do keep my head on a swivel. Luckily, I tend to be a little street smart anyway. Maybe it helps where I live. It's a very low crime area. And as I've told you that uh, many times, I'm kind of a hermit anyway. So, but, you know, hearing this about Jeff German uh, being murdered, stabbed to death, I would admit it, it hits a little close to home for me. So, and I know that, although I've not been asked this recently, on past live shows, maybe going back a couple years, especially I think around the time of the Tom Brown episode and all those videos that I posted. And then when Tom's remains were found, I I seem to get a lot of questions all around that time. Ed, do you ever worry about your own safety and the work you do and everything? And I try to be as aware as possible. I think this also goes back to uh, the the topic I was just talking about going jogging at 4 a.m., Uh, I wouldn't go, even though this is Golf Boulevard out here, very nice area, low crime, despite Kelly Rothwell surely being murdered right down the street uh, 10, 11 years ago, you wouldn't catch me walking up and down Golf Boulevard at 4 a.m. You know, for, you know, unless I really, 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 for some reason, have to be out there. But I wouldn't be out there for, you know, pleasure purposes or exercise purposes. I just wouldn't do it. No matter if I was a true podcast, true crime podcast host or not. Just got to be smart about this. Got to be aware. And, um, you know, I get the feeling I have to, having said all that, I get the feeling with Jeff German's uh, murder is that this, he just happened upon the wrong person at the wrong time. I, I don't think that this person was, uh, waiting for him or lured him outside. It could be that Jeff heard something outside, went outside to check out what was going on, and the person attacked him, and this person didn't even know that Jeff Derman was a crime reporter at all. We'll see if it gets solved. Uh, the tough part, of course, is going to be there's surely no video or anything like that, but I also have to believe that stabbing deaths in Las Vegas are probably fairly rare the way this has happened. So uh, I'd also want to know anything about any other crimes that are being committed in the air. Maybe were they having some sort of burglar in Jeff German uh, German's uh, neighborhood possible. You know, this is kind of the things you'd have to look into to try to deduce if uh, this was something that was pointed directly at him Or he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Just don't know. So I asked you before I got onto this, I asked all of you, will I be going back to Greeley for the second Steve Pankey trial? The Oracle says yes. Puma says yes, 90%. Carrie says, oh yeah, you will be going back. Jasmine says yes. Moana is still thinking about it. Barbara says no. Charles says, come on out. Thank you, Charles. Deborah says yes. Coffee says no. Um, yeah. Um, so it seems the consensus so far, the people who have taken time to answer this question about me going back to Greeley, 
is the consensus is yes. And unfortunately, that was the same exact, exact answer uh, that, that happened in the think tank as well. It was overwhelmingly that, yes, Ed, you will be going back to Greeley uh, to do it all over again. Okay. I mean, you know, I don't want to sound like I, I don't want to do this. It's certainly an adventure. Um. You know, and I'll, of course, if they require me to go, I'm going to go. I won't, you know, I'm not going to, you know, stand them up or anything. I'll put all my stuff together, go back out there, just like I did last year. It's just, you know, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily looking forward to it. I, I you know, it'd be good. To, it would be good to see my uh, nephew Charles again, and maybe the his sons as well. But other than that, but I'll go do it if uh, if I have to. Uh, like, uh, Light Walker says it's dangerous. Definitely rogue cops and the dark web hitmen. Uh, if you, uh, if you believe in that type of thing, surely light Jasmine, I'm not leaving my house at 4am unless it is an emergency period. Uh, Charles says not a tourist town for sure. Yeah. Charles Greeley. Although that pizza we had at that place, Charles was excellent. That pizza place that's right near the courthouse. Spectacular. Okay. So. I'm now going to answer a question, disc golf question, believe it or not, uh, from Certified Roracle, the Roracle who is in here. Um, she asked me a question, or I think it's a she, um, of uh, Roracle. I'll just keep it genderless. Roracle asked me a question and before the show got started, so I will answer it right now, being that we have about 35 minutes to go. Not about a missing persons case. I was a golfer many moons ago, and there was a dress code. Is there a dress code for disc golf? As I'm learning, it is much like the other golf. Uh, and she goes, thanks. And I also understand we just want to answer this here. No, I'm going to answer right here on the live show, the Oracle. Um, is there a dress code? It depends. Now, we have different level tiers of events. Uh, for amateurs, I'm not even going to get into the pros. Now, the pros certainly do have uh, dress codes. Uh, however, in disc golf, you are allowed to wear shorts. In the PGA, you're not, although I understand in the new uh, association, Live Golf, that Phil Mickelson and others are now part of, they are now wear, allowed to wear shorts. But in the PGA, shorts, at least at, least at this point, are not uh, allowed for competition. Whereas in disc golf, you can either wear shorts or pants. But I think when it comes to that Oracle, really the dress code comes down being that all of these pro players have sponsors. I think the sponsors, uh, dish out the requirements of what their players are supposed to wear. Of course, they're going to have to wear a shirt with their sponsors name on it, whether it's Innova or Discraft or whatever. And I'm sure there's a standard that the companies want their players to reach. Now, having said that, my understanding for pro players at these events that you have to wear a particular type of shirt. You just can't show up with any T-shirt on. They want you to look at least a little classy, even though um, disc golf is surely a little more um, proletariat sport than ball golf is. Uh, ball golf, I think, has a reputation of being a little bougie. Whereas disc golf is a little proletariat, uh, but still, 
the I think um in fact I've even um uh, been told I won't say this. I have competed in a couple tournaments where you had to wear a collared shirt. Pretty sure. Going back some years. And I think had I made the cut at Worlds that I would have been required to do that as well. Uh, now, you should know, and that's funny, Deborah's writing this. Deborah's writing, no booty shorts, Ed. You should know that I never wear shorts for any tournament. Um, I haven't worn shorts for an official tournament since probably 2014. Now, I will wear shorts like when I go practice up at Sand Key or when I go play with the club on Sunday mornings or doubles or whatever else. I will wear shorts there. But when I play tournaments, I wear long pants. And, I mean, people have asked me, why do you do that, Ed? And, of course, my answer is always, nobody wants to see these legs. Nobody I'm playing with wants to see these legs. Now, officially, though, I will tell you that the reason I wear long pants is because I feel that long pants are an advantage because we do plays oftentimes on courses where you know a disc may go into the bushes and there may be thorns and there may be this and you may need to get down on one knee or whatever to throw or everything else. Well, if you're wearing long pants, you don't worry about any of that stuff. And, you know, and I, I think that's why I started wearing long pants. I kind of just figured that out back and around, like I said, 2013, 2014, that it would probably be just easier for me to wear long pants. And so if you have to go into the bushes, you really don't worry about it. And especially when some of the courses, like, for example, Maximo, which is way down there at the southern end of Pinellas County, it has a lot of these prawn bushes. You know, they 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 don't very, grow very tall, but they grow very wide. And their leaves or whatever you want to call them, they can be kind of sharp. And in fact, I know we have some bushes over at Taylor that if your disc goes in one of those bushes, some of those things can be sharp, just as sharp as thorns on a, a rose bush or worse. You don't worry about that when you have long pants on. So there is a kind of dress code, um, the Roracle. Uh, I would say, for example, if a female player was to show up wearing uh, a bikini and a thong or something, yes, she would probably get be asked to leave. And if a guy did something similar or whatever, those people would be asked to leave. Um, now, having said that, I will tell you that I've sometimes seen some people, you know, out on the course and and I, sometimes I'm like, is that the best you could do? You know, I will tell you at this point, uh, I try to stay color coordinated. Um, I wear the unfound colors, which are, of course, black and red and, and white. So my cart that I use is black and red. The bag that I have, black and red. The shirts and pants that I wear, wear black and red. I have black shirts. I have red shirts. I have mostly black pants and fans. I just got some new pants recently that are a combination of black and red. My new disc golf shoes that I just bought from my brother, Brian are black. 
And although I've been wearing some black hats, I've trashed them. So I'm getting some new hats and they're also either black or red. So when I'm out there, I'm color coordinated. So I look fantastic, of course. Now my discs aren't color coordinated. They're just whatever, whatever works. But everything else is pretty much color coordinated. So I, I'd like to think that when I'm out there, I look like one of the classier uh, players out there, even though I'm just an amateur. And then you combine that with a long hair, and I, I'm not sure what people you know, really are, are think. This color-coordinated guy with long hair, what is he doing? So there's that. So there is a kind of dress code, but it's a little looser for amateurs. Whereas the pros, uh, there is a much higher standard, the Oracle. So there you go. Uh, LaFord asks, I was going to ask you if you were sponsored by any businesses while disc golfing. So it kind of got, uh, no, I'm not. Uh, LaFord, I certainly would like to get to the point one day of uh, being that the podcast is popular. That I would love to have a disc golf as a spon- disc golf company as a sponsor, maybe get a little bit of uh, sponsorship or something. I'd certainly be open to that. I don't know if we're quite there yet, but that's something that certainly would be interesting to me. Um, LaFord says uh, a real Don doesn't wear shorts from The Sopranos. That is true, LaFord. Like I said, I will wear shorts for the casual play in the in the um, clubs and when i go practice but for for tournaments it's always pants uh richard do you have to be equipped with any safety equipment helmets <laughs> no uh although people do get hit with discs richard i mean that happens and if you get hit uh hard if the disc is flying fast it's gonna hurt if not i mean you, you get hit in the head with a disc that's flying 60 miles an hour, you're going to the hospital for sure. So, but no, we know we don't have to wear helmets or anything like that. Luckily the courses are somewhat well designed that you don't have to worry about those things, but you never know. Uh, thank you, LaFord for the compliment on my hair. So, uh, there you go on that. All right. A couple more, um, couple more uh, unfound things. Once again, want to remind you before we finish tonight that this live show as a podcast now has its own feed. So however you now listen to the regular podcast that comes out every Friday, you now have to go into that app, do a search for unfound live to listen to it, subscribe to it, if you'd like to listen to this again, unless you would just want to come back there to YouTube again, of course. But I think a lot of for a lot of people, it's just more convenient, you know, eventually after the fact uh, to just listen to the audio. I think a lot of people like seeing me. I try to provide um, some visualness to this with my facial expressions and things, but I think a lot of people maybe uh, prefer just to listen as well. But I want to remind you, all of you, it's very important. I would love to eventually get to the point where the Unfound Live uh, podcast, uh, you know, gets kind of close. Maybe 60%, 70% of the subscribers to the Friday podcast. That would be something that I think would be spectacular. 
and uh, I'm tempering my expectations for now, but um, we only can do that one subscriber at a time. So please consider getting onto your podcast app and subscribing to it. Uh, moving on, uh, you know, uh, you've heard me uh, going a combination of missing people and um, disc golf. You've heard me make this disc golf analogy about why sometimes it's so tough to find missing people. And I made the comparison to disc golf. You throw a disc, it goes down 300 feet out there. It kind of tails off to the right. You think you're going to go right down there. Maybe it's a little wooded and there's some bushes and things. You go down there to where you think the disc went in and you can't find it. You're there. Other people saw it. You're always all looking through and you know, everything is like brown and green. The disc is bright purple or bright orange, and you still can't find it. This has happened to anybody who has played disc golf for at least a month. And so you've heard me talk about this. Why does this happen? Why is it you go down there, you, you know where that disc landed, even though it did go out of sight. You go down there, you can't find it. You look for a half hour, you can't find it. Your fellow players can't find it. You're just like, well, we got to keep moving on. And there is a time limit, by the way, for tournaments. You have like three or four or five minutes to find a disc. If you don't, you have to go back to your previous lion throw with a penalty, just like in ball golf. But then what happens? A day later, a week later, if you have the, your name and number on your disc, you'll get a call or a text with a picture of that disc. And somebody will say, hey, I was playing Maximo today, and I came upon your disc. Uh, do you want it back? And so we start going through that, that thinking of how is it that a person who didn't even know I played that day, didn't know that I was on the course, didn't know the color of the disc, didn't know I lost the disc, knew nothing, didn't know me, nothing. That person could find the disc and I couldn't, even though I saw where it landed. I know what color it was. I know how hard I threw it. I know this course and everything else. How does that happen? Well, I'll have you know that just happened to me uh, from Friday till today. Let me, let me explain it to you. I went out and practiced on Friday evening, and it was very close to dark up here at Sand Key. I'm throwing in a, in a field where there are no trees. It's flat grass. Now, the grass did need cut a little bit. But flat grass, no bushes, no trees. As clear as any, you know, you know, any yard, but it's a field actually in a in a in a local park. It was getting near dark. I threw this one disc. Unfortunately, the color of the disc was black. Threw a bunch of discs. It's getting very close to dark, but I have my phone. I'm thinking as the flashlight. I'll go find them. No big deal. I go down there. I'm throwing six discs at a time. I can only find five of them. Can't find this last disc, and it just happens to be black, which, of course, does make things a little difficult. I have my flashlight on on my phone. I'm kind of like what we call mowing the lawn, walking up and back, just about where I think this dish, disc should have landed. Back and forth, back and forth in the, the very decent area where I think it landed back and forth, can't find it. It gets to be totally dark. 
the park's closing down. And then even before I left a park ranger, they all kind of know me there now because nobody else uses this field, but myself. And so they come over and we BS once in a while. Uh, one of them saw me looking. He came over with one of their tractors with headlights. He's driving up through this field. He doesn't see it either. Even though I know it's in the field. I know it's there. Can't see it. Can't find it. And he's going back and forth, bright headlights on this, like one of those ATV, like tractor type of things that they use. He can't find it. I can't find it. I say the heck with it. Tonight, uh, about 7.30. So it's been a couple days. I went back up there, parked my car right next to the field, went to that area, found the disc in 30 seconds. Now, reason it wasn't taken is because nobody ever uses that field. I think I'm the only person that ever uses that field for anything. But there I was looking in that area just a few days ago, couldn't find the disc, went back there, almost walked exactly to the spot. I was no longer, I could not have been in that field looking for more than a minute and found it. And I know for sure that both that guy and myself went by that area twice or three times on Friday night. So this goes back to searching for people, that this happens. And surely it is easier to find a disc in the middle of a grass field, especially when you threw it, than it ever would be to find a missing person in the woods or somewhere, if you believe that that person, of course, did not go very far. You know, once again, you maybe want to talk about Jason Landry. You can talk about David Hardy Jr. as a couple of examples. The people go search, no one has found it. But surely finding that disc is easier. And even I had problems doing that in a grass field. So this is why I continue to say that we underestimate um, we underestimate uh, how hard searches can be. And there is a type of uh, paradoxical nature to it that you think you know everything you need to know about finding something and you can't find it. And somebody who doesn't know anything about anything just happens upon it. It just seems so counterintuitive but it happens so often with this golf that i think that this is a consideration that's just that must be made for missing people as well i'm gonna keep saying it i'm gonna keep saying it It was just that was on my mind from friday till today when i finally had a chance to go back over there and look for it um Richard says, I have a couple beautiful motorcycle helmets for sale, extra large. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, that's another thing. You will never catch me on a motorcycle <clears throat> on any public roads, Richard. Never. Never. Now, go dirt biking on back trails or something. I would love to do that again one day, but not on public streets. No way. Richard, could you attach an Apple Air Tag to your discs? Um, Richard, you should know for competition purposes, it is illegal to attach anything to your disc. Now, people do do that for like when they play night disc golf, which is just for fun. You can put like blinking lights and things, but for official play, nothing is allowed to be attached to any disc. You're allowed to write your name, mark it, put your name on it, 
that's it. You can't put anything like that on it. Charles was wondering the same thing. Yeah, that that because what can that that can do is kind of alter the flight, and people might be able to use that to their advantage. So you're not allowed to do that. In fact, they are even very specific on the rules about using sandpaper on discs and, and things like that. Very very strict on those things. Okay, moving on. I want to talk about. Of course I do. Um, This story from yesterday morning where a – was it yesterday morning or was it Saturday morning? I get so confused. Um, No, it must have been Saturday morning. This young man, Corey Patterson, who decided to take a plane for a spin up in the air near Tupelo, Mississippi. He worked at the uh, the local airport, and he had posted something on his um, Facebook about kind of, I guess, in a way you could see it as a suicide note. And he ended up going to the airport where he worked. He ended up getting into a King Air, which is a propeller plane, two uh, two engines, one on each wing, and it can sit like six or eight people fairly powerful private propeller plane fairly um probably not the type of plane you'd want to learn to fly in but he got in it and at first uh he made some maybe made a comment that he was going to fly it into a local walmart for some reason and so people The police were out and they were evacuating Walmarts and malls and things. Uh, Once again, I think this was Saturday morning. But this guy, Corey Patterson, didn't follow through with that. So for the next several hours, and I want you to know that I was following this on Flight Radar 24, he just continued to fly around, fly around, fly around. You could watch many videos. People caught the plane flying over their homes in the area, just buzzing by. He's going about 200 miles an hour only about 1,500 feet off the ground, not high at all, but he was just flying all over the place, just zooming in. I think that they, um, you know, scrambled a couple jets to, you know, just the bit. I think once they figured out that this guy was just going to be flying around out in the middle of nowhere. He was like flying over this national park or some area there that was deserted and there were no homes or anything that I think that they were just keeping an eye on him from afar. And had he like gone back to a populated area, I'm pretty sure one of those jets would have swooped him and shot him out of the air. But eventually he ran out of gas and landed wheels up in a field and survived and the police swooped in took him into custody and of course he is now facing a a whole list of charges including making terroristic threats because he said that he was going to fly it into a Walmart and kill people now the reason I'm bringing this up a couple different reasons Uh, Jasmine says that was here in Mississippi they had to left Walmarts my mom told me she works there yeah right yes But maybe some of you can think back to 2018 when this guy Richard Russell kind of did the same thing in Seattle. He took a what is actually a commercial 
commercial uh, propeller plane, a much bigger one than from this past weekend. This one could fit like 40, 45 people on it. And this guy decided to fly around the Seattle area. He was doing all sort of barrel rolls and everything. And, and I, he th- I think he learned to fly using one of these simulators. But he eventually uh, crashed it. Of course, the plane was destroyed and he got killed. Now, what is important to remember about both of these situations is that these guys were not crazy. All right, in quotes. I know people who are just listening on can't see me doing this, but these two guys were not crazy. And in fact, uh, in both situations, them communicating with air traffic control, um, clear-headed, knew exactly what they were doing, uh, had a firm grip on reality. And in fact, in Richard Russell's case from 2018, he was kind of making some jokes while he was up there. Not crazy. But still, it, at least in Richard Russell's case, it was clear that he wanted to die. Even though he's talking clearly and they were trying to talk him down. Hey, Richard, don't do this. You know, land that plane, bring it back to the airport, put it down here. You know, didn't want to do that. Once again, he eventually uh, crashed it and got killed. Now, in Corey Patterson's play uh, situation, it seems at least at the beginning it was suicidal. Then it seems like he chickened out for whatever reason. Now, I don't know if he's going to live to regret that or not. I think he's going to be in jail. I don't think he's going to get to plead insanity or anything like that because he was obviously sane, sane enough to land that plane, wheels up, belly landing in a field, and survive and knew exactly what he was doing to do that. But what does this mean to us, those of us who follow disappearances? What does this mean to us who know that, especially for many of the disappearances that we've covered on Unfound, you could believe that somebody, man or woman, really did walk off. And of course, what do we always think? We always think, well, the person must be losing his or her mind. They, they might, you know, having some amnesia or dissociative state or, or something. I think that both of these situations with these guys, with these planes, prove otherwise. That we have to at least entertain the idea for these disappearances where it doesn't look like there was foul play, but people walked off, that these people knew exactly what they were doing. And they were not suicidal the way we usually think away of people being suicidal. And I think that our ideas on that have been greatly formed by watching movies and things which are not real. And we get this idea maybe that people who are suicidal, they talk about having all these regrets and everything. And and Richard Russell maybe did a little bit of that. But he did a lot of joking when he was up there in the air, too. And it was, once again, very clear-headed about the entire thing. Corey Patterson, the same, even though it seems Richard Russell never made any threats that he was going to crash it into a building and kill people, whereas Corey Patterson did. 
should show us that people are capable of anything at any time. And it's uh, what I've been able to follow. You know, I followed this when Richard Russell did this back in 2018. Still since then, there is nothing that I've seen that should have caused him to do this. Although the, there has been a theory out there that being that he played high school sports and he might've had some head injuries, CTE, and that's what caused him to do this. I don't know. We'll never know now. But people are capable of anything. You just don't know what people are going through. And this is why when people say, well, she wouldn't have left her kids. He wouldn't have left his kids. Those are just cliches. All right, because if men, now maybe some women have done this too. There's just nothing that recently that I could think of where a woman took a plane up and flew it around and then crashed it or anything. I'm I'm not saying it hasn't happened, probably has. But these are just the two stories that I know the best. But they can be very clear-headed and know exactly what they're doing. And so we just need to keep that in mind. We can never definitely dismiss this because we just have too many um, examples to the contrary. I, I have another – I'm going to run out of time to talk about it, but we had the CEO or the CFO of Bed Bath & Beyond. He jumped from a very exclusive uh, condo building in New York City this past weekend. Guy's worth millions of dollars. Now, I do understand maybe that he gotten, maybe did a few things with the Bed Bath & Beyond stock that were not quite on the up and up. And frankly, the retailer Bed Bath & Beyond has been going through some tough times, and they're going to be closing some stores, and some people are going to get laid off and everything else. And there was the, the stock got pumped up, and some people made some money on it that they probably shouldn't have. And he might have been one of those people, but here was a guy 52 years old, CFO of Bed Bath & Beyond. And I'm going to guess a year ago, had somebody told him, you know what, a year now from now, you're going to jump off from the 18th floor of this building and kill yourself. I'm sure a year ago he would have said, that's crazy. But here we are a year later, and that's what he did. Likewise, I talked about at the beginning of this year, I have her name written here. Um, remember Miss USA Chelsea Christ or uh, Ch Chesley Christ? She was Miss USA. She was from New York, uh, North Carolina. Seemingly doing very well for herself, uh, doing some reporting on TV. Uh, I think she had her law degree. She was a lawyer. She jumped out of a building in New York City too. 30 years old, something like that. Uh, smart. Great personality, beautiful, everything. Jumped to her death. Now, my understanding is she had been struggling with some depression issues for a while, but, you know, this also shows it doesn't matter what people have going on in their lives, no matter how great, no matter how much money, no matter, you know, job prospects and all of these things. Sometimes uh, they're just things that just cannot be easily explained and that we just don't know. You know, for all these people, it doesn't seem, at least to the outside, Corey Patterson, Richard Russell, uh, this guy's name, let me say his name for the record, Gustavo Arnal, A-R-N-A-L. 
and then Chesley Christ, this young woman, all of them seemingly had a lot of reasons to live, but they all consciously, without having any mental defects or anything, decided they were going to make bad choices. And Corey Patterson was the only one who lived. Probably, I think it's just because he chickened out. Just have to remember this when it comes to disappearances. Um, Richard said, I just drive my truck to Walmart and leave my plane at home. Thank you, Richard. Uh, Richard, a couple of loose cannons rolling around the deck. Those two guys, I don't know. It's just, I think what's creepy, Richard, is how sane they both uh, sounded when using the radio for these you know, exchanges. So I was on my mind, wanted to talk about it. You know that I'm fascinated with all sorts of uh, airplane and jet stories anyway. So they gave me an opportunity to talk about that. All right. We're to the, just about to the end of the show tonight. This Friday, we're covering this disappearance because of a, a listener who posted a request on this channel about three months ago. She had requested, could you please try to cover the disappearances of Justin Gaines, which of course we've already done, and Kyle Fleischman. And Kyle Fleischman will be this Friday's disappearance. Uh, If you make requests, I try to make them happen. I just want you to know that. Any requests that you make, I really, really, really try to make them happen. And luckily, uh, I succeeded on both of these. But Kyle Fleischman, he went missing from Charlotte, North Carolina a city I drive by all the time between Pennsylvania and and, uh, Florida. It's a beautiful city at night, really beautiful city at night. He disappeared on November 9th, 2007, I guess in the early morning hours of November 9th. The guest is a young woman who has become an expert on his disappearance. She lives in Charlotte. She's gone to these uh, locations. Uh, She's done a lot of paperwork, filed for a lot of paperwork. And her name is Reggie. I think her uh, full name is Regina, R-E-G-I-N-A. But for the interview, she went by Reggie Simpson Ahern, A-H-E-A-R-N. She was the guest who did this uh, interview a couple weeks ago. And she's collected quite a wealth of information that I will be posting uh, on Facebook and elsewhere on the website, theunfoundpodcast.com, before Friday. And of course, uh, I think many of you maybe already know Kyle Fleischman's disappearance, at least I think a little well-known, maybe not as well-known as Brian Schaefer's, but kind of. He went out with his friends. Uh, They went to a comedy show to see Dane Cook. Afterward, they went to a bar. They got separated for some reason. The friends decided they were going to go home. Kyle decided he was going to stay out. Had a little bit of a run-in with a small group of people that a guy didn't like that Kyle was dancing with that guy's girlfriend or fiancé or something. But they seemingly went their separate ways. Uh, Kyle seemingly went down and got some pizza at a local pizza shop before it closed at 3 a.m., and he was never seen again. The title for this episode, coincidentally, is called Separate Ways. And, of course, the theme, I'm going to be talking about some other disappearances in which people were in a group of friends. One kind of got separated. That person went missing, and all the others did not. Why does this happen? What what can we learn from a situation like Kyle's, uh, maybe some others, 
Of course, Brandy Wells, she went to a bar alone um, and disappeared. We know Jesse Ross. He was in Chicago with friends. He separated from the group. He was never seen again. Justin Gaines, similar disappearance. He shows up at that club. He gets separated from his friends because they decided they didn't want to go inside because of their it wasn't, wasn't free or something. He got separated from them. He goes missing. TJ Murray, remember, he showed up at that bar with a friend of his. They got separated because he got kicked out of the bar. He went missing. Why do these things happen? So that will be this Friday. Kyle Fleischman disappeared from Charlotte, North Carolina, November 9th, 2007. The guest is Reggie Simpson Ahern, a woman who's been putting a lot, a lot, a lot of time into trying to figure out what happened to him. And the title of the episode will be Separate Ways. So that is it for the live show for September 5th, 2022. What do we do? We talked about, of course, disc golf. Talked about me going to the dentist again on Thursday. Talked about the Unfound Now that is now out. Gregory Peterson. The newsletter is now out. Um, The question I asked was about me going back to Greeley. The consensus says, yes, Ed will be going back. We'll be going back to Greeley. Give another uh, disc analogy about how it's tough to find things sometimes. Talked about the Tupelo plane. Talked about Eliza Fletcher. And uh, certainly it seems her murder. Did not get to this story about uh, all the surveillance info being uh, collected maybe next week. Talked about the murder of a crime reporter in Las Vegas, Jeff German. And talked about sometimes you just don't know what's going through people's heads. Once again, like Gustavo Arnold jumping from that building. And then Chesley Christ jumping from another New York building earlier this year, following finishing it up with this Friday's episode. Please remember to, to subscribe to this now podcast in your podcast application. It was a fantastic show tonight. Thank you for all the questions, comments. Love seeing all of you every Monday night. Thank you for supporting uh, this show, this podcast, in whatever way you do. And you will see and hear me on Friday afternoon. Uh, Nephew Charles, You take it easy as well. And everybody, I think a a big theme from the show tonight, keep your heads on swivels. Good night.